wasabi wallet. Unfairly private. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's a beautiful Friday, uh, and this is a new episode of Why Are We Bullish? I've got a killer panel here today. We're going to be bringing them in momentarily. Very excited to have you all here. I'm just getting my screens and everything all set up. Uh, but yeah, lots of stuff to talk about. We had Michael Saylor with his whole uh, event going on the past couple of days. We had some interesting bullish news, but we're going to let our guests uh, give us their takes on why they are indeed bullish this week. Uh, but without further ado, I am Ben with the BTC Sessions, and this is your Daily Session. All right, before we dive into our panel, of course, let's check in on where we are in the market at the moment. So right now I'm here on the bitbo.io dashboard. Uh, of course, uh, one of our guests, very responsible for having put this thing together. So I always riff on the bitbo.io. If you're not on this thing, you got to check it out. It's pretty rad. It gives you all the information you need. Anyways, we're sitting at 37,800 and some odd dollars per Bitcoin. Uh, for one US dollar, you can pick up 2,642 uh, sats. That is going down. We're well below 3K at this point. 88.67% uh, of all Bitcoin has been mined. That'll be hitting 90% later this year. And in terms of fees, if you're looking to get into the next block, you're going to be dropping about 122 sats per byte. But if you're willing to wait an hour, that drops to about 20 sats per byte. So not bad. Um, up next, really quick, shout out to sponsors of the show, Ledin.io. This is where you can use your Bitcoin for a variety of different services. Of course, they've saved my butt on a couple locations with their loans when I wanted to get dollars or I needed to get dollars in my hands, but I didn't want to sell my Bitcoin because that's a taxable event. And I was worried about having to buy back in at a higher price. So I was able to use this. Of course, they've got their savings accounts with interest rates of up to 12.25% annually paid monthly. And they've got their B2X offering, which for you bullish Bitcoiners out there, uh, instantly buys you more Bitcoin using the same loan mechanism. If you want to check them out, links down below. If you click the link and opt to use any of their loan products, they'll give you 25 bucks into your savings account for free. Up next, we've got the Kobo Vault, one of my regularly used hardware wallets. I love it because it's 100% air gapped, meaning... You never plug it into anything internet connected. It's all done via QR code, open source. Uh, the firmware is open source, secure elements, and it's interoperable with all my favorite wallets. I like using it with Blue Wallet on mobile, and I really like using it with Wasabi on desktop, but there's a ton of options, and it's also great with multi-sig. Uh, you can check it out. Links down below. And just for reference, I'm using the Pro with the fingerprint scanner and the rechargeable battery. Uh, up next, of course, I'm living on Bitcoin. I'm as all in as you can get, uh, but I got to eat. I got to shop sometimes. And one of the ways I can do that is BitRefill. Basically, you can use Bitcoin main chain or lightning to get any gift card you could possibly think of. They're in a ton of different countries. There's a drop down here and you actually do earn sats back as you shop. So be sure to check them out. And finally, if you're backing up a wallet, you might not want to put it on paper if you're worried about fire or water damage or just accidentally throwing it out because it is paper. Uh, so you can 
obviously check out uh, putting it on steel, something like the Bill Foddle over at privacypros.io. These guys are awesome. They've also got like Faraday bags. So if you're worried about signals and stuff, if you're wearing your tinfoil hat already, well, they will have you set over there at Bill at privacypros.io. Anyways, guys, let's stop with that and let's start bringing in our panel here. We've of course got Gary Leland. We've of course got Christopher Gimmer. We've got Richard James and we've got Nick Ward. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. I'm very excited to have you all. Exciting to be here. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Very exciting. Um, it's been a hell of a week, you guys. Uh, there's been a lot going on. Now, I know we all have our own reasons for being excited and bullish. I'm going to uh, start us off, but really quick before we get started, let's just go down the line. I'll let you guys quickly introduce yourselves and uh, and what you do. Uh, I've got my little girl at home too. She's just getting home from daycare. So we might have a visitor on this. It might be a bit of a family affair here. Sorry. That's, that's I was wondering right. who's little kid that was. <laughs> yeah, been there, that's done that. Been there, oh, yeah. done that. I, I regularly have a, a little a little face peeking in and uh, joining in the Bitcoin talk. So uh, I'm bullish on newly spawned Bitcoiners. <laughs> Let's go down the line here. Gary, can you introduce yourselves and just uh, yourself and just let people know who you are, where you're from? Yeah, I'm Gary Leland, Dallas, Texas. I'm known as the Bitcoin Boomer, and I'm with most people know me from Bitblock Boom. That's my yes. conference I run every August. Check, yeah, check it out, you guys. If you can make it to Bitblock Boom, I've heard nothing but good things. I'm going to try and make it down this year. We'll, we'll see if I can make it down to Texas if Canada lets me out. Uh, Chris, you're up next. Let people know who you are, what you do. Yeah, so I'm uh, Christopher Gimmer. I'm the co-founder of a software company called Snappa. Uh, last year, we decided to move the majority of our uh, cash reserves into Bitcoin. Um, and as we've got even further down the space, um, we ended up building uh, Bitbo.io, which is a uh, real-time Bitcoin dashboard. And uh, we're kind of building that out uh, a little bit and kind of seeing where that goes. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for being here. And uh, up next, Nick, can you let people know who you are, what you do? Sure. Uh, my name's Nick Ward. Uh, I guess first and foremost, I'm a Bitcoiner, uh, like all of you. Um, however, in a former life, uh, I worked as a web and graphic designer for about 10 years. Uh, currently, I teach computer science by day, um, educating the cypherpunks of tomorrow. And then by night, I do uh, research and marketing for a New Jersey-based uh, Bitcoin fund. Awesome. Damn. Busy. Busy man. And uh, up next, uh, we've got dad down the line. Richard James, can you can you let people know who you are, what you do? Hey, everyone. Um, my name is Richard James. I'm uh, I'm coming in today from uh, Melbourne in Australia, where it's Saturday morning. Um, yeah, I've got a um, you know I work in, uh, run a business. It's Bitcoin unrelated, um, but yeah, when when I get the chance, I'm working on sort of creating video content that that is sort of educational around Bitcoin and sort of Austrian economics and. Um, and money and things like that. So I've got a, a, a film called Hard Money that uh, you can anyone can watch free online. And it's awesome, by the way. I've watched it and uh, it's excellent. So if you get the chance, go. Where can they find that, by the way? Uh, just the website is hardmoneyfilm.com. Awesome. Okay, yeah, check it out. 
right after this show, go watch it. Um, gentlemen, again, welcome. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna riff a little bit on my reason for being bullish this week. I'm sorry if it, uh, if it rains on one of your parades. Maybe it was something you were going to talk about. But I got to talk about uh, what Sailor did this week. Um, I'm the low-hanging gonna... fruit. You're taking the low-hanging fruit. I, know. <laughs> I, I don't know how I could talk about I mean, yeah, there's a million other things to talk about too. But um, damn, I, I want to talk specifically about when Saylor started talking about in his event. Those of you not in the know, Michael Saylor, CEO of MicroStrategy, who has he has like a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin now. He's just started piling all of his reserves for his company into it. Um, he held a two-day online event um, for specifically for institutions, corporations, people looking to move into Bitcoin as part of their reserves. And uh, and I got to say, like uh, I, I saw a good chunk of it, but what I saw, he knocked out of the park. And in particular, I, I know the, the opening... Uh, segment was great, but I really liked his corporate strategy segment because effectively he went down the line and <laughs> he was just short of telling companies to sell their chairs because chairs are scams. Like this is how bullish he was. He was yeah. like, okay, you gotta, you gotta convert your treasury because you know the dollars are going to be worthless. Uh, then you can look forward and see uh, what your revenues could be. And maybe you could borrow against that. Like it was it was so insanely bullish. I didn't think he could get any more bullish than he already was. But like he's, when it comes to in terms of a reserve asset, he's got the talking points nailed down, and he can just kind of rattle them off. So I don't know what what did you guys think? Did you see the event or uh, hear good things about it? I'll, I'll go kind of down the line and and see. Uh, Gary, did you get to catch any of it? I caught the uh, speaker who was talking about, he held, I, I don't know the name of the gentleman, but he had the uh, company that held Bitcoin for mm -hmm. high value customers. And he, that guy was bullish. Yeah. <laughs> I could pick that guy to be my bullish guy. Well, who is uh, his name? He, I'm trying to remember. Ross Stevens from uh, Nighting. Yes. Yeah, yes. And he has some powerful stuff to say. That's all I caught of it to yeah. be honest with you but i caught the right thing from what i understand yeah there's there's a lot of people that were pretty excited about that chris were you were you watching it as well did you see part of it yeah i was watching it uh the thing that one of the things that blew me away was well number one the first session overall was pretty incredible and it seems like as new bitcoiners come into the space they they can just like refine the message uh even easier than 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 some of the ogs um, and one of the things from that session that blew me away was him talking about all the money that is coming in. And, he, you know, he talked about $25 billion uh, that's kind of uh, in the pipeline from now until the end of the year, which is just like nuts. Um, so the, you know, the institutions have definitely uh, arrived and, and they're, they're, they're coming in full force. Um, and kind of like you were talking about too before, it was, it was pretty hilarious when he was rattling off like okay first you want to take your cash and you want to buy bitcoin with it um you know you, you could go one percent but basically you want to go all in and then you know then you're talking about <laughs> taking debt out and then you know using that debt to buy bitcoin and then he even took it a step further of like you know well if you have 
um, you know, if you're a farmer and, and you've got crops for now the year, you can finance those crops in advance and then buy Bitcoin with that. And I was just like, wow, he is very, very <laughs> bullish. So he is the king of the bulls. I yeah. Think. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty awesome to see. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Uh, how about you, Nick? Were you did you catch any of that or hear hear the I, the the buzz on on Twitter and in and around all that? Uh, yeah, definitely. It was it was pretty hard to avoid. Um, everyone was all about it. Um, by far, my favorite segment was the Ross Stevens segment. Um, he is a tremendous speaker, uh, super eloquent, and he sort of just wraps these huge ideas. Um, all into like a nice bundle and just hand delivers them to everyone that was listening. Um, specifically, one of the things that I love to hear him talk about um, was Bitcoin's energy usage. Um, he was talking about, you know, how we are going to be able to seek out uh, remote or stranded energy sources um, and build uh, civilization in these places that have been, you know, completely untapped previously. Um, and that kind of stuff, just hearing that just makes me insanely bullish uh, just listening to him hear about you know the, the bigger implications uh, of bitcoin really yeah yeah he was a he was very well spoken i was very happy watching that segment how about you richard did you catch any of this or hear hear a little bit about it all the buzz yeah i um i was sweating on it a bit because i i it happened while i was you know during the night here and then the next morning i was kind of trying to click on the live um, streams and they were all closed. So it took a while, but eventually people started uploading uh, stuff to YouTube. So I watched the, yeah, of course, echoing it, what everyone else has said, the, the Ross Stevens interview with Michael Saylor was, was pretty incredible. And, you know, I was, um, you know, he's someone who's new onto the scene and, and I think he, I, I uh, I'd read the the letter he'd sent out to about Stone Ridge and their opinion on Bitcoin, and that you know that summarized and it condensed all the arguments about Bitcoin in so well into such a few pages, um, and then now you combine that with this this interview with Michael Saylor, um, and he's yeah. So the, just in the same way that Saylor sort of burst onto the scene last year as this advocate for Bitcoin that's very a very powerful force i think this looks like ross stevens is going to play a, a similar role um and these guys speak a language that um you know that, that a different kind of investor understands yeah and it's kind of you know stevens was using this phrase a war like literally a wall of money uh and you know we've heard um Raul pal talk about use that same phrase um so it's interesting to to, to now see that that was more a prediction and now that you know, as he says, I've got the order book, like the money's coming. Um, but one, just to pick up on one little thing I, I, that I found interesting that he said when he was talking very eloquently about um, the position that central banks are in, you know, I found it interesting that he was saying, look, I don't believe that these central bank um, chairs are, I think they genuinely have, have the best interests of the citizens and the economies at heart. They just, their backs are against the wall and they're dealing with this force that is, is just stronger than they can control. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting because us as, as Bitcoiners, well, at least me, cause I'm just some idiot on the internet, but like <laughs> when you present this idea to, to people in your own circle, let alone to, CEOs of companies, you know, it, you kind of get scoffed at, but now that 
some of these guys were able to go down the rabbit hole themselves, they can present these types of ideas to other people in the same position as them. And they're no longer kind of the pariahs or the, the, the outliers. They're starting to be taken seriously. So there's definitely been a major shift. Uh, and I think 2020, you know, March alone and the trillions that were, were printed, um, it was a wake up call and and now people are starting to see the actual reason why it's almost like bitcoiners knew that was the reason why that would eventually come and then when it finally did you're starting to see the people that have a lot of capital at stake realizing <laughs> that they need to pull the trigger on something so it's really cool to see um guys if you if you haven't watched uh any of these clips uh particular uh particularly the one with ross stevens uh go check that out uh it was excellent you can find it on youtube i think a few different people uploaded it i know the guys at swan did um there's another there's a few people that have it up online but you'll be able to find it um i do want to say we have uh just shy of we're getting close to 100 live people watching so be sure to smash the like button give this a share get more eyeballs on this and thank you guys for being here and be sure to hit up the chat because I'll bring up messages as we see them. But let's move down the line. Uh, let's go to Gary. And Gary, uh, I was just wondering, what has you feeling bullish this week? Well, I hate to do this, but I'm going to have to stay with the trend because I say the trend is your friend, right? <laughs> so I'm going to stay with the trend and go with Michael Saylor, but in a different angle. Okay. You know, um, I'm an old fart, so most of my money is in IRAs and retirement funds. And uh, when Michael Saylor started buying down so heavy on Bitcoin, I decided I needed to start buying micro strategies in my IRAs. <laughs> and I started buying <laughs> every, all, I poured everything in there that I had in IRAs into micro strategy, because I'm a believer to the core. Micro strategies was, about 250, 45 days ago, and I did it 45 days or so. I'm not exact day. Now it's $805 today. So you can make a lot of plays in Bitcoin without having Bitcoin even. I'm not saying I'm not saying stocks are better than Bitcoin, but I couldn't pull that out and throw it into Bitcoin or I would have to pay penalties that were not going to be worth it to me. But now I'm getting the same, I'm getting to take advantage of Bitcoin's appreciation in my Ameriprise account. You know, they, they wouldn't let me even move into grayscale capital over there, but they'll let me move into micro strategy, you know? So I'm bullish on Michael Saylor. Yeah, that's, it's interesting. I'm Chris, I'm wondering if you think this is going to be kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like you see the kind of movements out of micro strategy after allocating into Bitcoin does this, I mean, we're kind of seeing it now, but do you, and, and you've done it yourself. Um, do you see other people around you starting to say, hey, that was a good idea? Oh, you're muted. Sorry about that. Yeah, um, the, the, the game theoretical aspect of corporations holding Bitcoin is 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 pretty remarkable right because now that now that michael saylor has effectively loaded up he has all the incentive in the world to basically um you know pump his own bag so to speak and another thing that was really interesting from the conference is that 
because Bitcoin is not a security, he can go on a podcast tour and just talk about how unbelievable Bitcoin is. Whereas with other actual securities and other stocks, you have to be very careful about, you know, what you say and, and there's certain quiet periods and whatever. Um, and so there's no way that all these other corporations are looking at MicroStrategy like 5Xing over the last couple months and not getting FOMO, right? And so I think it it 100% is uh, a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think we're going to see that play out over the next uh, the next year, really. Yeah, I'd 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 echo that, uh, especially with Ross Stevens saying how he he expects to be managing it to somewhere to the tune of twenty five billion dollars by by the end of this year. I think that was the figure that he he threw out there, which is pretty wild. Um, Nick, what's your take on this? Do you think that it's just going to snowball and you're going to see institutions piling in? And how does that differ from? years previous and previous bull runs yeah i mean i think like gary threw everything uh at microstrategy and there i mean the results speak for themselves uh chris said game theory and that's that's it i mean everyone's going to look at what he was able to do just by you know changing his uh treasury reserve policy to match my same treasury reserve policy um but at the i mean at the other end of the spectrum it's like who needs a bitcoin etf anymore Right, we have microstrategy. Um, we're good. Um, but the other part is like, think about um, the list of people that were attending that conference, all those different companies, corporations. Um, I saw some people tweeting out some lists of the those that were participating or those that were attending. And I kind of just want to comb through that list and uh, buy call options on all of them because I don't think they're going to be able to avoid um, you know, adopting similar treasury reserve policy to what MicroStrategy did, given the results, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds I, I, like a post for Wall Street bets, Nick. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and how about you, Richard? What, do you, what are your feels on this? I'm, I'm curious if you think that this changes kind of the nature of, of the Bitcoin cycle. Because we've, we've kind of seen these cycles where there's a, a massive blow off top and then you know, typically what we see like a 70, 80% drawdown. Does this blunt that a little bit? Does this, you know, is just because it's a little bit more difficult for corporations to get in and out, there's more red tape around that. Or do you think we just see the same thing, but on a bigger scale? I think on, I think it does. I think it will undeniably have the effect of muting some volatility just because, you know, the, the, yeah, these, these institutions are, they have, you know, the, in colloquial terms, a strong hands. They're buying for the long term. They're not going to be, you know, they've made their decision based on fundamentals. They're not going to sell. Some, they know they're getting into something volatile, so that's not going to scare them away. You may still obviously see the retail wave um, come after that, but I think it does set this this set this base set this floor um where you might not have as big of a drawdown but uh, what's interesting about microstrategy is when i was they first came out with their their purchase announcement last year i forget what month it was but it is and and gary talked about how he's put you know put some of his re retirement account into there you know it's a great option for people who don't have access to the the underlying bitcoin but uh, you know, I sort of thought, oh, is is this something that sh you should purchase? 
And I decided no because I thought, well, look, you're only getting something like I'd have to go and look at the exact calculations after that first purchase they made of like 400 million. It's only like representing something like 20, 30% of their balance sheet. So you're only, for every dollar you're putting in, you're only getting 30% of exposure to Bitcoin. So I, my prediction at the time was, okay, it's not, it's not going to outperform Bitcoin itself. But if you fast forward to today, it's kept pace with the price appreciation of Bitcoin. And I think has actually outpaced it microstrategy alone um and so that that i didn't expect and um you know you're just seeing the bitcoin portion of its balance sheet grow and grow in proportion to the overall value of the company to the point where it's as nick said it's pretty much indistinguishable from a bitcoin etf at this point <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting because you're right. Initially, you would think, well, you know, you're not exposed fully to Bitcoin, so it may not appreciate as much. But perhaps it's a reflection of the the anticipated actions of the corporation, too. Like in terms of him, he's literally just doubling down on every single bit of cash he can get his hands on and funneling it into Bitcoin as part of their reserves. So it keeps on growing and he's he's financing debt. To, to get more Bitcoin on the balance sheet. And so for people that want the most exposure to, to Bitcoin, then I suppose if they can't just actually get the underlying asset, then they're funneling into that. I'm wondering if that gets blunted over time as well as more corporations seek this as a, a reserve asset kind of tactic um, because it won't be the only game in town. But for right now, there's not a lot of like if, if you can't get direct exposure to Bitcoin uh, through whatever vehicles that you're using, it's it's kind of like while well, MicroStrategy is basically one of your <laughs> few options. So, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over time. But well, he's, he's practicing what he preaches. Yeah. You know, that's for damn sure. And, and I always thought the first two or three companies that got in there and did this would see the most appreciation. I don't know why I felt that for, for some reason or another, but like I said, you know, the thing about Michael that got me the most was, I don't know where I read this at, but uh, he stated uh, that when he first bought, he bought for himself before he bought for the company. And he bought 17,000 Bitcoin, I think it was. And he woke up at night scared he had not bought enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it's it's funny. You see, a, you see a single buy and it puts to shame what you would be able to do over the course of your entire lifetime. And you just, uh, <laughs> but, but Hey, you know, that's not everybody can, can have hundreds of millions of dollars on the sidelines ready to, to stack sats, but we can dream. Hey, um, yeah, so let's continue moving down the line. We have over a hundred people watching live now. Be sure to smash that like button. Give this a share. Get some more people in and keep commenting. I will bring up uh, I will bring up comments that I see there. I see people talking about Doge. Oh, man. Okay, well, <laughs> maybe we'll touch on that later. Uh, but we're going to go down the line here. I'm going to pass it to Chris here. Chris, you can go ahead and let us know what has you feeling bullish this week. So uh, this isn't necessarily something about this week specifically, more of a continuation. But um, what I'm really been bullish about lately is just the increased amount of hodling that's happening right now. Um, if you look at some of the on-chain metrics, um, it's just 
fascinating. Like I'm, I'm looking at Glassnode right now, and it's just fascinating to see the balance on exchanges continuing to drop, even as this bull run is, is uh, you know, continuing upwards. Um, if you compare that to like 2017, the you know the coins on exchanges was kind of loosely following the price, and then you have the blow up top, and then the crash. Um, a whole bunch of my friends are are you know doing daily stacking now. Um, it's kind of just that I think just the the narrative has really solidified itself as you know buy your Bitcoin, stack it daily, weekly, monthly, put it into cold storage, and don't touch it kind of thing. Um, and now that's permeating up at the corporate level, right? So you know Michael Saylor has, has said it and we've talked about it quite a bit, like he's not going to sell ever or for a hundred years or however he frames it. Um, and so you just, you, you just think about how strong the narrative is, um, how everyone's developing very, very strong hands. Um, and it's, uh, and if this, you know, quote unquote wall of money continues to come in, uh, there's really nowhere to go, but up in terms of, uh, price appreciation. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see because um, this is kind of unprecedented in the history of Bitcoin because in in previous bull runs, you see inflows to exchanges, people taking what I suppose would be gains and putting them onto the shitcoin casino and rolling the dice. And this has been very much the narrative has shifted as as far as, yeah, you buy your Bitcoin, you get it off the exchange into your own custody and you just hold it. Um, and that's very different. There's, I mean, there's still, <laughs> you're still seeing the, the shit coining and the ga gambling and like DeFi is effectively the ICO boom 2.0, but it's, it's not as pronounced this time. I think we're still going to see all of the dumb stuff happen this time around, but it's it's a noted difference and the liquidity pool sitting on exchanges is is far less percentage wise than it was going into 2017 and it continues to do so so i i think that's what makes it different this time around but let's let's head to nick here what's what's your take on uh the outflows of bitcoin from exchanges this time around I mean, I'm all for uh, liquidity crunch here. I, I I don't think, like, I don't I don't really know fully how to wrap my head around it as to like you know it's being pulled off exchanges, uh, but does do we know like where it's going after that? Um, you know, imagine it would be cold storage. You know, that's definitely what Sailor and and the like are doing with theirs. But um, you know, this kind of plays into the idea that uh, Brady Swenson puts out there, um, HODL FOMO, uh, where you know, we have such a strong narrative coming in that this is, you know, this is for strong hands. This is a long-term play um, that, you know, it's sort of clicking. And when we have bigger players coming in in this cycle, um, scooping up, you know, larger amounts and, you know, locking it down for decades, if you will, um, you know, I mean, there's only there's only one way it goes when we, when we run out of Bitcoin to sell, right? Um, that, that's what I see coming, and I think you know a lot of a lot of people are probably thinking the same thing, really. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. How about you, Richard? What's uh, what's your take on the uh, what seems to be kind of an inevitable liquidity crunch with Bitcoin? What's what do you think happens when there actually isn't Bitcoin to sell? When there's 
when some exchanges just get smashed with too many or some liquidity providers just don't have the coins like what what happens <laughs> uh, yeah i've been thinking a bit about that exact thing and um that was sort of my same this this liquidity crisis thing and the, the balance on exchanges was probably my number one thing to be bullish about as well so i'm looking at these same um charts from glassnode and it's like a falling off a cliff that um, you know the BTC uh, supply and exchanges, and we, if you look back at previous peaks in the price, the, that little one we got in 2019, then you go back to 2017, you always see this exchange supply front run the the peak in the price, so it always turns up again. Uh, but we we haven't seen that. In fact, we're seeing the opposite; it's still going down, and. I'm looking at another chart, which is the same sort of thing, but but where they categorize. Well, Nick asked the question: Okay, the the Bitcoin's coming off exchanges. Where is it going? Well, they can they they have this metric where they're trying to categorize the the they're analyzing the accounts and saying how likely are these people to to hold their coins or or sell them. And so, um, you know the the supply is going to Bitcoin accounts to traditionally hold their Bitcoin for for a long time. And that that was slowly trending back towards neutral. And then this week we just saw bang, another big hit of supply going off the market to um to illiquid accounts. And so as you say, Ben, it, it's this this point has to come where the exchanges just can't get their hands on the Bitcoin that they want to sell. I wouldn't we saw something a couple of weeks ago where there was restricted I forget which exchange, but restricted trading over a weekend. Uh, just, and I'm assuming that's just for fear that, that the supply is not there. Um, I think you probably see more of that. And surely, at some point, the tide going out is going to leave someone um, exposed and not able to to fill the requests for, for Bitcoin to go off an exchange. Like someone's going to be caught running a, a fractional reserve of some kind. I, I that's got to be inevitable, surely. Yeah, I, th I think this is when you start to see those those crunches when uh, people have been uh, fractional reserving. It, it gets scary when there's a liquidity crunch. How, how about you, Gary? What do you what do you feel about the outflows of Bitcoin from exchanges, and and what's your take on on what might happen when push comes to shove and there just aren't coins to sell? Well, I like seeing it. I can tell you that right now. It's just such a positive. That's a that is a bullish indicator. And yeah, and I'm just really sitting back, saying, you know, thinking, okay, you do have people that are going to want to buy Bitcoin and not enough to buy, but where does it get to the point that all of a sudden all these people who are short Bitcoin are just going, oh my gosh, I got to like get some Bitcoin because I can't afford to take a chance on this anymore, which will even cause it to go up like the Wall Street, the Reddit kids. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. when does that Reddit effect hit Bitcoin? You know, yeah. that's what I sit back and wonder. I, I think it, it'll be interesting, too, because do we get in an in, into an instance? Because, uh, I mean, whether or not you think it's bullshit, um, you know, Robin Hood was saying, oh, well, we just didn't have the liquidity. We were worried about, um, you know, having the, the reserves there and, and they shut down the ability to buy and so on and so forth. And, but still enabled selling. So I'm wondering if at some point we see something like that. One thing I am thankful for is that the whole Robin hood fiasco with wall street bets shone a giant spotlight 
on the fact that if you don't have your coins, if you don't have your keys, you don't have your coins. And if you don't, if your money is with somebody else, then you have effectively zero control of, of it um, when push comes to shove in a crisis. So uh, there's a bunch of people out there now that are, are realizing that and understand and are starting to put that together um, in their brains. And that's, that's a great thing to see. So all in all, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about it. And if there is a liquidity crunch and some people get screwed for having, uh, having Bitcoin in custody someplace where maybe they shouldn't have, or, or should have taken it off sooner then I mean, it's just going to draw home the point and, and more people will do it around next time. So we shall see. Uh, but let's switch it up here again. Again, we're, we've come close to around 150 some odd people watching uh, throughout the show. So be sure to smash that like button, give this a share and get more people watching. Um, let's move down the line here. I'm going to pass it to Nick. Uh, I know we've already cycled through a, a bunch of different reasons, but uh, there's always more reason to be bullish. So what has you bullish? this right. week right yeah before the show i was saying um i had to cut my list of bullish reasons down to one page uh, i managed to get it to a page and a half but um, i think i got one that we can go to here um awesome. this is gonna sound interesting but i'm bullish on fud and more specifically um the lack thereof or the lack thereof uh, new fud uh, we've been you know hearing all of the exact same stuff um for the last four or five years it's all been thoroughly debunked. There's articles, like you could link five, six articles to anyone that's tweeting about any of these things um, and pretty quickly just be like, okay, see you later. Um, and on top of that, I actually have my uh, my Nick Carter uh, FUD dice next to me um, <laughs> with all the different reasons why Bitcoin you, is going to die. Can and you give it a roll and see what we get? Sure, let's see what we get. Um, uh, doesn't scale and Satoshi's coins. <laughs> okay, all right then. Those those are those are both terrifying, and it's n we've never heard them before. No, never. <laughs> I I agree. The fud, the quality of fud, it's hilarious because every article you see now, you're like, I is what year is it? Was this is this 2017? Is it 2014? When are we? It's just a rehash. And I mean, like major FUD coming out that can be debunked in in moments, like the 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 double spend thing that that Bitmex. And if anybody's watching is uh, didn't hear about it, effectively there was um, for a, a moment in time there were two blocks mined at the same time, and somebody had done what's known as replace by fee, where you send a transaction and then you say, actually, I'd rather this happen, and so you send a different transaction with a higher fee. So it just so happened that one of each of those transactions were mined momentarily and we weren't sure which would be the official confirmed transaction. And then 10 minutes later when a new block came, I was like, okay, that's the one, the other one is no longer valid. With that, the media got a hold of it, had no idea what was going on and said, somebody spent their Bitcoins twice, everything's broken, it looks like Bitcoin is fucked now. And that was pretty much the, the articles and it took all of a few minutes to quickly look and say, okay, what's going on? Oh, it's an RBF transaction and it's a stale block. That's like, it was, it was easily, it was easy to figure out, but nobody wanted to take a moment to 
understand what was going on. And so, yeah, there's, you see all of that. You see the, the, the uh, energy consumption. You see, um, yeah, again, Satoshi's coins. You see all of that happening again. I don't know. Let's, let's move down the line here. Uh, Richard, what, what kind of FUD have you been seeing uh, as of late? Any, any good FUD that, or bad FUD? What have you been seeing? Yeah, that um, the double spend FUD was just astonishing in that e even if you don't understand the concept of a stale block or how, how it works, which of course no one's expected to understand, it's still like one of the first things that you're told if you're actually interacting with the Bitcoin network. It's that you have to wait. You should wait for a few confirmations before um, accepting the transaction's final for this exact reason. Like this is the exact um thing problem that they're anticipating um is why you wait for lots of confirmations um to to ensure finality so yeah the fact that that sort of the, and i had many people um ask me about that um you know getting texts about oh is bitcoin broken and what's with the double spend from people who don't really um you know, they just see an article in a, in a on a news website or something so that penetrated quite far and wide which is crazy. But I think the most interesting bit of FUD uh, that's been going around or the most interesting sort of Bitcoin, the new Bitcoin villain or antagonist is this guy, Mike Green. Um, so you guys, I don't know if you've been, been keeping track of this guy, but um, and I didn't see his most recent debate with, with Pomp, but I listened to his debate with... Um, with Nick Carter, and I'm, I'm not sure if you discussed this on the show in, in previous weeks, but that was really interesting in that he's, he's uh, you know, I think he's wrong in, in just about everything that he, that he tries to put forward. But he, he's obviously a very intelligent guy who happens to not like Bitcoin a lot. Um, so he, and so I thought he was quite a formidable opponent. I think Nick did an amazing <laughs> job in that debate. But... Uh, you know, and he's got, he's kind of like, I see this, this Mike Green guy is like a, a high priest in the, like the fiat church. Like he's, um, you know, he's someone who this, this legacy system has, has benefited a lot. And so he's sort of, um, you know, he's trying to put forward all these reasons why he thinks Bitcoin's bad. But yeah, I guess you always have to come come back and and look at a person's motivations <laughs> the, the yeah. are, are pretty good at, at uncovering those yeah exactly like if this the incentives line up that you don't want bitcoin to ex succeed then you know you know what you're probably going to be seeing in public so i don't know how about how about you gary what have you been uh seeing with the fud lately what have you thought of the quality of fud that's been circling around well i've been spending a lot of time in uh clubhouse lately mm -hmm. And in the mornings, and it's funny, I've been in a couple rooms that, well, there's a lot of beginners, first of all, Bitcoin beginners in Clubhouse. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of us in there who've been there a while, but there's an amazing amount of beginners in Clubhouse. And uh, I heard this morning one that I just, I actually laughed and spit my coffee out when I heard it, because <laughs> I, I hadn't heard this in so long, uh, about the tulip bulb crisis. <laughs> and she asked, why is no one talking about the tulip bulb crisis? That she's been told Bitcoin is exactly like the tulip bulb crisis. And the only answer I could give her is that because we're tired of hearing that every four years. 
you know, <laughs> and that's all I could respond. I was, but the 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 questions I've been hearing, and maybe it's because I'm involved in the clubhouse rooms, and there are a lot more beginners in there than normal places that I would hang out. That I'm hearing so much be- stupid fud. I mean, this is stupid fud. The double spin fud. I mean, you know. Might make some sense if you don't know anything about Bitcoin or blockchain, but the tulip bulb, I mean, that's pretty basic, you know, yeah. 101 there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the tulip mania lasted basically a single year and didn't reinflate multiple times over the course of more than a decade. So <laughs> each time re- reaching a rocket scientists to say, hey, you can grow more of those things. You're gonna have a big supply here soon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's uh, it's interesting to see the newcomers come in and they'll maybe hear something through the grapevine of, again, somebody who hasn't really been around the space and will say, oh, it's just tulips who hasn't thought through the argument. And then it just kind of proliferates yet again. Um, and, and it's it, it does get tiring, right? Like it's 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 just like watching Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, where just the same day over and over and over. But it's you kind of want to go in and and help these people realize, well, again, here's the reasons why. And I mean, God bless the people that go into those rooms and and just sort through the the basics over and over and over again. I mean, part of that is why I do uh, replayable videos on concepts is I could say, okay, just go watch this. (laughs) And I don't have to physically do it again and again and again. Uh, So yeah, I I don't know. But uh, let's move to that down the line here. Chris, uh, how are you feeling about the FUD? And anything good that you've seen lately that made you laugh? Uh, so yeah, the FUD I've been paying most attention to is the the Mike Green stuff as well. Um, Because obviously, like, you know, the whole double spend and tulip stuff is just not really worth paying attention to. But I think it's it's important to, you know, listen to arguments from intelligent people and make sure that there's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're not getting, uh, you know, we're, we're still making sure that uh, we're, we're taking everything into consideration. Um, so what was kind of interesting was like, so in the Nick Carter debate, he was kind, he seemed to be a lot more focused on, well, under the Bitcoin system, we're going to be, you know, uh, all our U.S. dollars are going to go to China. That's going to impair our national disp- uh, defense. And you're basically unpatriotic if you're you're pro Bitcoin. Um, so it was interesting because in that sense, it wasn't even, you know, Bitcoin stupid and it's not going to work. It was like, you know, we shouldn't be supporting this because if, if it does work, then you know, that's going to impact the US dollar. So it's almost like an admission of Bitcoin being too, too good and, and, and doing its job correctly. And then the, the thing that was interesting is in the POMP debate, he then had this theory that, well, at some point, China is going to confiscate all of the miners. Uh, they're going to waste, you know, all of their electricity and they're going to mine empty blocks uh, in order to basically crash the network. And then so I was kind of confused because I'm like, so in one debate, you're saying that there's it's dangerous because it's favoring China, but then on the POMP debate, you're saying that China is going to purposely derail the Bitcoin network. So I'm kind of a bit confused in terms of like Mike Green's whole point and and what what the narrative is. Is, is are we helping China? Are we is China going to destroy it? Uh, but you know, like 
at the end of the day, there are counter arguments to uh, his claims anyways. So, but I thought that was probably the most interesting uh, debate or at least FUD that I've heard in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm seeing in the chat here too, people bringing up, I, I guess on the same kind of down the same road as the, the nation state kind of banning FUD. Um, I think that's the, we're, we're going to see more of that this year, but with a Western twist, because uh, in 2017, it was all about China. China is going to ban it. China did ban it. China banned it again. So you saw a lot of that. And with each time, it had a reduced effect on, on the price and nobody cares. We saw India just the other day. There was threats of banning. Um, we've seen other things come out. We saw the, the, the poorly put together and quickly shoved through uh, proposal um, by the Treasury, by Mnuchin, um, which is now delayed uh, along with a lot of things. But I think we're going to see a little bit more of that type of FUD this year from more Western countries and the EU and places like that. But in the end, I think it'll amount to just a big nothing burger. And if it does become too onerous, then people will just find ways around it. So... We shall see, though. I don't know. <laughs> it's 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 going to rhyme with history, whatever happens. But uh, let's jump uh, to our last our last bit of bullishness here. Let's jump down to Richard, uh, dude. What has you feeling bullish this week? Well, as I said, it's yeah, it's this it's the same thing about um, basically Bitcoin supply and, and an incoming sort of liquidity crisis in Bitcoin and. I think, but but to take it a step further, I've been thinking about this idea of of Bitcoin's demand curve. So, you know, we're talking about a, a liquidity crisis where the supply is just not there to meet demand. And if you think about a, you know, if you if you Google, you know, supply and demand for Bitcoin, you might see some academic papers, and they're all terrible, obviously, but. You know, they'll draw the traditional supply and demand curve that you see in your economics textbook where, you know, the demand slopes up and the supply curve slopes down and they intersect and wherever they intersect, that's the point where the price is determined. But I'm not convinced that that's correct when it comes to Bitcoin. I mean, from a, I think on any given day, it probably is correct because you've got all sorts of factors. You've got supply coming to the market, which is, first of all, it's the new coins being mined. But what's deciding supply in the market on any given day is probably the price because miners will decide if the price is higher, more miners might want to sell for, for fiat money, more hodlers might want to sell on any given day. So I think on a day-to-day -day basis, that normal supply and demand curve works but if we look at a, on a like stretch that out to a decade or or to the long term i don't think it works at all we we know that in the long term the supply of bitcoin is perfectly inelastic as it, oh it's capped it's capped at 21 million so in the long term the supply just cannot increase so that's sort of where we're what we're getting at with this supply coming off exchanges because we just know that at a certain point in the future there's no more bitcoin being created so the if anyone wants to buy it, it has to come from existing supply. But the other thing that I find interesting is that, you know, a normal product has a, as the price goes up, less people demand it. That's like the law of demand. But Bitcoin has this thing where it's almost the opposite, where 
the more the price goes up, the more it's demanded because the better it's doing its job as a as a money. And Michael Sales talked about this a little bit, like because it's a monetary commodity, it has this really interesting reflexivity. And so I almost think that the demand curve for Bitcoin slopes in the opposite direction, or it like it takes these leaps that that expand the demand frontier outwards. And so I th- and I can't think of another thing that that is like that. Like I think maybe gold has a bit of the same thing. Like it has an industrial use, and then its monetary use shows some of the same qualities. But yeah, I think it's. Be- because it's a monetary network, a new monetary network, and that's unique because it's got a capped supply, that's unique. I think if you try and sort of extrapolate these things out into the future, it, it takes us to a point where I can't quite fathom how any other scenario other than the, the dollar price just going to infinity in the long term. Yeah, I it's, it is unique. I mean, not only in the fact of uh, that it's so scarce um, and with most other items out there with even with gold if the price goes up too much too quickly then there will be an influx of gold onto the market just in that miners will start you know booting up their operations and and uh and and mining more and deeper and and (laughs) mining in more places it becomes economically feasible to mine more gold and it's limited in how quickly that can be produced but at the same time with Bitcoin, it doesn't matter what the demand is. It's just the supply stays constant. There's We have no impact on it at any point moving forward, which is fantastic other than the already existing coins. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very unique. And you're right in that as the price goes up, it's, it reminds me of that meme where there's two, uh, two tables at a trade show and one is empty and the guy's sitting there like this and the sign over him says $300 Bitcoin. And then there's a lineup out the door and it says $40,000 Bitcoin and everybody's all excited and wants to buy it. It's, it's true because the more it appreciates at within a certain kind of time window, I'd say within a particular epoch or even within a calendar year, you do get those blow off tops, but there's, there's definitely, it kind of resets and then it'll go back. And once it reattains those previous all time highs, people start FOMOing in and it's just, it just repeats and repeats and repeats. So uh, yeah, that's the, the supply crunch. I think you're you're right that, you know, there's always people, the price going up attracts these people who are chasing the price, but um, you also see, yeah, with this thing where, each with each long-term increase in price it attracts um or makes bitcoin appropriate for an entirely new um class of investors so at the, those, you know at first you've got the the techno you know cypherpunks then you've got the sort of the early adopters then at the next price level you've got the institutions which is what we're seeing now and then the, and then the next price level you've got the pension funds and the la- the sovereign wealth funds and then pop possibly that highest price level you've got like nation states and central banks. So mm-hmm. yeah, that it, it's like um, as Bitcoin grows, it almost changes, um, changes its, va- its value proposition for a certain class of investors. Yeah. And I, I, I'm going to bring up a couple mentions from the, the, the chat here. So Jason March in the chat said, but price will bring sell side supply. 
And he said the market will eventually stabilize. And I do agree with that. But to what Richard was saying previously, it's it, it's going through kind of like these epochs of different use cases, right? Like it, previous, it was it was just primarily it was just retail. And so there's kind of a, a ceiling, especially with the limited amount of retail that got into it before in 2017, it was very small liquidity pool to drive it up that high. Now you've got a whole different class of buyers that have just barely be, been starting to scale in. And beyond that, you've got, you know, you're starting to see cities like Miami thinking about allocating to the treasury. Eventually you may see states and provinces and then full on nation states. So there's, it does kind of give you some of that runway and that's why we see these kind of bursts. But maybe before I talk too much, I'll, I'll pass it over to Gary here. Um, I, I we're kind of back on, on this liquidity crunch, but with these kind of different types of buyers and, and some of those, what that may contribute to Bitcoin price and where it could go from here. What are your feelings on this here? Well, I think Richard made a really good point on how at each level that we go up, the buyers move into a new market, basically, and how maybe finally when we get to the top, it'll be nation states, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, national banks and things. So I, I think that's a really great point that I really hadn't thought of how who's buying it has changed the more expensive it gets or the more it goes up. But I also th was thinking about your point you made with the cartoon there. You know, you do have the $300 table no one's at, and you do have that $40,000 table. But then you get this small group over here in the corner who are watching it one day and it starts dropping like crazy like it did in March when everything was shutting down for COVID and it dropped to 3800 And these people were buying like crazy. You know, even though the bottom's dropping out of it, because they know at this point they've been in it long enough to know this is the true buying opportunity. That Bitcoin's <laughs> not going out of business. This is the buying opportunity. You it's know? it's it's the Scott Menards of of the world that are calling four hundred thousand dollar Bitcoin, but saying, "Well, we hit a technical level, and it's probably going to drop a bunch from here because he's just waiting to buy it for Guggenheim." That was I think beautiful. Yeah, I, I think that we're going to see a lot more of that. Mention that, as a matter of fact, I thought that was fantastic. Bitcoin's worth five hundred thousand. Oh, it's not worth anything. Oh, it's worth six hundred thousand. <laughs> now that I have a bunch, it's worth a lot. <laughs> we're going to see a lot of that. Uh, Chris, what are you thinking about all this? The 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 change in buyers of Bitcoin does that does that mute the effects of of retail? Or does effectively institutional buyers pulling off exchanges is only kind of the top little bit of liquidity what mostly drives the price? Yeah, I think at this point we're at a you know seven hundred billion dollar asset class. Uh, you know, retail is probably not going to push up the price that much, and so you kind of kind of need the institutions to uh, you know bring bring the wall of money, so to speak, to kind of push it to that next level. Um, and ultimately, I think this is going to be really good for Bitcoin because, you know, one of the things that's it, it becomes a bit of a tough sell uh, for retail, especially those who, who just aren't used to volatility is they see these wild swings and they have a hard time uh, kind of committing to the asset class, even though they know that it goes up over time. 
And then unfortunately you have the situation where, you know, Bitcoin goes to 40 K it drops to 30. And I've, I've heard friends of friends who ended up selling at 30 K now they're, you know, trying to buy back in and it's really just disheartening. Um, so I'm hoping that with all of this, you know, new capital coming in and the increase in market cap, uh, that hopefully the volatility will dampen both on the upside and the downside. Um, and that we'll see a bit more of a steady increase in price as opposed to these wild uh, swings and, and, and these blow off tops, which ultimately I think is, is going to be healthy for, uh, for Bitcoin overall. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so as well. But I'll, I'll, I'll let it uh, pass down to Nick here. Uh, what's your take on, on the change in, in types of buyers of Bitcoin? I mean, it's super interesting to sort of see us run uh, through each of these levels. Um, you know, sort of how we laid it out was like you run into a wall and the, the available supplies just like drops, drops off. Um, and like Richard said, it's like price. It's interesting because, you know, price goes up. Um, but demand goes up alongside it. And I think the term for that is, is like a Veblen good. Uh, a Veblen good, as it increases in, in price, it increases uh, demand for it. Um, but I think what we're seeing is, I don't know, I think it's Murad, uh put out that chart where it's sort of just like this steady arc um, of the phases that Bitcoin moves through, um, where it starts off as collectible, then it goes to uh uh, store of value phase, which I think we're in right now. Then you transition to medium of account and, um, excuse me, yeah, means of exchange and unit of account after that. Um, but I think that's that's kind of what's playing out as we sort of go through these cycles and different um, different walls of of uh, supply that we have to break through. Um, and it definitely brings in a new class of of investor with each level, right? You're 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 seeing the institutional phase now. And, you know, we've heard this talked about a ton where it's like, okay, after institutional, it becomes nation state. And then like, I've heard this laid out like four or five years ago. It's like retail, um, you know, institutions, nation state, like that's the order we're going to go in and it's playing out so far. Um, but when you bring in these bigger investors, it, it does deepen the liquidity of the market as well. So, you know, it's, it's a positive, it's a net effect there as well. Um, and speaking of, you know, we talked about the clubhouse rooms earlier and how um, people, you know, bless their hearts for answering these questions over and over again. Um, I, don't, I, I don't have the patience they do for it, but um, thank God we have them. Um, one, one of the more interesting things that I've heard come up in these rooms several times actually is um, if the price goes too high and then there's not enough Bitcoin on exchanges, like, like what if we don't have enough? Like, what are we supposed to do? And it's like, People forget that divisibility is is a thing, right? This, this is like, um, what's that that lady's name? Amy Castor, the the one who doesn't understand you, you can divide a pizza and you know feed the world. Guys, yeah, um, she's she solved world Coppola, Coppola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Francis yeah. Coppola. <laughs> but yeah, divisibility is a tough one to wrap your head around these days. But once you do, you realize you know number go up and you know less Bitcoin is not a problem. Um, you can just that's when we move to sats being the standard, right? Stacks and sats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> the divisibility thing. It, it really gets me. It's I, I think people have trouble realizing that it's about the percentage of the total pool of money that you have and that that can remain constant. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if. if the money is only meant to represent the goods and services available within an economy. 
And no matter how much money is swashing around, it's still representing the same amount of goods. Unless somebody has innovated on something and, and become uh, more efficient, you know, there's no wealth grows from increasing the amount of money uh, in an economy. You just reallocate wealth to other people if you're able to print and give it to certain people. So the innovation here with Bitcoin is that you get your piece of the pie and that piece of that pie does not shrink no matter what anybody else does. You can hold on to that. And there was a, a comment here. I'll bring it, I'll bring it up here. Um, the gentrification of Bitcoin. And so uh, they're, they're talking about how um, people get priced out in, in certain ways, but that's really not the case. You never really get priced out of Bitcoin because as I said, you always, whatever you allocate into it, whatever you purchase, whatever, however many sats you stack, you still get that percentage of the total purchasing power of all Bitcoin everywhere. And just because you bought now instead of last year, yeah, it would have been really nice to buy last year. But from this moment forward, whatever sats you stack is going to be the same percentage of the total number of sats that will ever exist. And that's the important part about Bitcoin. And that's why it's so much better than our fiat currencies that we deal with today. But don't so, you think there's some kind of hidden thing there or some, some something that new people, people who aren't into Bitcoin yet, that they go, well, I really want to get a whole one. And <laughs> Bitcoin, you know, so, you know, it's going to keep going up while you're waiting to get your whole. So you're never going to accomplish that. But I mean, have you heard that for, from people? I want to get a whole one. And are you oh, yeah. excuse not to get, you know, half a one or a quarter of one. You know? Yeah, I think I think the, the switch to sats as a standard is going to do wonders for the unit bias, um, because, again, like. People aren't very excited. If you divide up all of the Bitcoin that will ever exist evenly amongst the entire population of the world, I did this in a video the other day. It's like point, it's point zero zero two four Bitcoin, somewhere in and around there. And that's depressing to look at, that kind of a fraction, that kind of a decimal. But when you say, if you divide it evenly amongst everybody, if you have more than 240,000 sats, you are golden. And I, I, or it was something around there. It, it's the equivalent of around 84 US dollars right now. And you can get basically your fair share. If you get more than that, then you're better than the average person. Um, so it's, it's still very, very accessible. And I think if we start pushing the, well, you could stack, a, you know, a few hundred thousand sats for a hundred bucks right now, even when it gets down to 10,000 sats for a hundred bucks, who cares? That's, that's a steal. It's an absolute steal. So I, I think that shift is coming. It's unfortunate that it's not quite there front and center everywhere for this bull run, but I think it will be for the next one. I think we go through another having another epoch and using decimals will just be so useless and there'll be more proliferation of lightning network. You'll see more people using sats as a standard. So that, that's my hope anyways. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? You can jump in. I mean, Cash App is doing it already, right? That's their standard right now, Sats. Yeah, yeah. How, yeah, how about... I, mean, I, think, I think a lot of people have a problem with this, most to be honest with you. I mean, I mean, I know none of us do. But, you know, when people come to work for me, to work in my stores, like work in the cash register, one of my... I don't ask many questions because it doesn't take... But I ask them, what's a third of 100? <laughs> 
And like, and really, you'd be surprised if you ask people on the street, if you stood on the corner and asked 10 people that, seven would say, math wasn't my best subject. That's what they always say. For, it's like they got together and had a meeting. This is the answer that you give. And I kind of always go, did you take it though? I mean, yeah. you know, because I mean, so I think that a lot of people have a problem with the fact that they're going to get 0.012368. They, they just don't know what that is. Yeah. You know, and I think that when they are just going to get two million sats, that'll be much better. Two thousand sats than the point oh oh two two. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think it needs to be standardized across most. I I would like to see wallets start to do it as the default instead of having to manually switch to it. Um, I think that might be the direction we eventually go. Uh, I've seen a I've seen a push lately to go to bits, and I'm I'm like no. That's not, that's not, not going to happen. Uh, Sats is the first unit in the, like since 2014, since I've been poking around the space that actually has had any sort of traction that actually has meme value where people enjoy using Sats as a unit. And I think it's the only one that's going to be, that's going to succeed and, and hats off to Matt O'Dell for the, the coining the term stacking sats because he did he did everybody a great service by kickstarting that and uh, and I look forward to it proliferating everywhere. Uh, yeah. So gentlemen, I'm going to start rounding this out. First of all, I want to say thank you to all of you for coming on and thank you to the hundred and almost 180 people watching live right now. Make sure you're smashing that like button and giving this a share. Uh, I appreciate all of you being here. Uh, this is a great chat. Uh, this always makes my Friday. It always makes it nice. Uh, even though rich, you're on a, you're a Saturday morning there, but that's all good. You, we're, we'll get to have some beverages right now after this, and uh, you can have one tonight for us. But um, guys, I will say thank you for being on. I'm going to quickly go down the line one more time to let you guys, once again, let people know who you are, where they can find you. Uh, so let's jump to Gary. Can you just, again, let shill away, whatever you like, my friend. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you want to follow me, I'm just Gary Leland everywhere. But mostly I hang out on Twitter and Clubhouse nowadays, and I as you can see, run the BitBlock Boom Bitcoin conference. So, you know, here's a funny story. You know, this is our fourth year, but I think now I am the longest continuously running Bitcoin conference in the world since I did one last year. So I'm <laughs> the longest running Bitcoin conference. <laughs> That's awesome. Nice, very nice. And I That's also cool. wanted to say, Chris, I think that uh, BitBull is, uh, is great. I've already... Uh, Man, awesome. uh, yeah, I like it a lot. I, I I was not aware of that. So that was worth coming on the show for, <laughs> for that tidbit of information there. So yeah, I really it's, like it's, that a lot. It's, it's an thanks incredible for having me on the cool. show. Yeah, thank, thanks, yeah, Garrett. Yeah, I'm so glad you could be here. Yeah, 100%. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to make it out to BitBlock Boom. Um, myself, and my wife will be dying to get the hell out of, uh, our house, <laughs> uh, and, and do some traveling. Um, but let's jump over to Chris again, let everybody know once again, who you are and more importantly, where they can find you. Yeah. You can, uh, follow me on Twitter at C Gimmer and, uh, Gary just gave a nice shill. Uh, if you want to check out some, uh, real time stats, uh, related to the Bitcoin network, check out bitbo.io. Awesome. And let's jump over to Nick, let people know where they can find you. 
Uh, sure. You could find me um, on Twitter. My handle is uh, NCKBTC. Um, first of all, everybody that's listening, everybody that's watching, uh, smash the like button, subscribe to BTC Sessions, open a new tab, buy your tickets to BitBlock Boom, um, open another tab, set BitBo as your home p- homepage, and then uh, go watch uh, Richard's film, Hard Money Film. <laughs> nice. That was a that was a solid shill. I'm I'm impressed there. Uh, let's let's jump to Richard now. Is, he uh, just he just shilled me. for you, but but go ahead. Uh, I um well I can't tell you. I forget what month it was this year when everyone was a bit block block boom in um and I was we were stuck in the middle of winter in this lockdown with a curfew. Um, so I was pretty jealous of, of you guys. And, uh, so maybe one day I'll, I'll get, get over there. And, um, yeah, I've also been using Bitbo myself for the last few, few weeks. I made the, sh- I love Clark Moody's dashboard. That's always been the one, but, but I, I have to say, yeah, I've, I've made the switch to Bitbo as well. So, so well done, Chris. But, um, yeah, my Twitter, rjames underscore BTC. And, um, there's, we've got a project going at the moment, which is called the Bitcoin voice paper project where, um, getting people together to read um, read the Bitcoin white paper, um, you know, as, as, as making a statement that uh, the strength of the Bitcoin community that that we're all Satoshi basically. So I'm um, keeping an eye out for that. We don't have a definite um, place where that'll be released, but um, yeah, if you follow my Twitter, um, there's a lot of people involved in that. Awesome. Well, again, gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the show. Everybody watching, smash that like, gives us a share. Uh, Guys, I'm going to cut your audio and video, but if you want to stick around and say a quick goodbye after we finish, I will bring you back in. Uh, But again, everybody watching, thank you so much for being here and uh, being part of the show today. Uh, I have had an awesome week and I always love capping it off with a, a bunch of awesome guests. So again, Thank you for joining me here. Of course, of course, of course, if you're here on YouTube, please do hit like, subscribe, and share. All of those things really, really do help. Um, And it helps get the show in front of more eyeballs. Uh, If you want to help with the show in another way, you can hit up the previously mentioned sponsors down below. That was Ledin. That was Kobo, BitRefill, and PrivacyPros.io for the Bill Foddle. And if you really loved what you saw, you can always drop me a Bitcoin Lightning Network tip at my tippin.me page. That is T-I-P-P-I-N.me slash at BTC sessions. With that, I'm out. Have yourselves a wonderful day, a wonderful evening, wherever you may be. And I will see you next time for your daily session. Huddle the Bitcoin.